What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we've got another awesome one. We are joined by the Christian Thibodeau today. So he's been training folks for a decade and a half. Uh, He's worked with elite and amateur athletes alike. Formerly, he was a strength coach at the Central Institute of Human Performance in St. Louis. And he's also the head writer for T-Nation. So if you've ever searched or Googled anything fitness, nutrition, or performance related, there's a good chance you've come across one of his articles in the past. He also has today his own online platform, Tib Army. They offer a number of different services to uh, clients and people who are just trying to get educated on the space. Everything from online training, online boot camps, programs, nutrition, and lots of different educational courses. What I was so excited to talk to him today, though, uh, about was his neurotyping system. So Christian's going to explain what that is on the show, but to give you a high level understanding of kind of what you're walking into today. It is a system that's designed to help you select the best training program, diet, or supplement regime for you. And the way that it approaches that is is alternative, I will say. It's using a personality assessment to actually evaluate your brain chemistry traits and from that kind of infer what your dominance is. So by using that, what they do is based upon like what you're most receptive to or responsive to directing you towards a training or nutrition solution that's going to be uh, number one, not like most impactful, but number two, and primarily like what you're going to be most interested in. And I think we've talked about that in past shows, right? Like there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat, but ultimately it needs to be something that you're going to be excited about so that you stick with it. And, and, And that is right. You know, that is the crux of Christian's approach. So they actually offer an assessment. He's going to talk to us a little bit about what that's like. What I loved is I think this is a perspective that probably most folks have not been exposed to. Uh, So often, right, we we talk about programs at a high level, keto, uh, powerlifting, you know, you name it. This is saying like, hey, every person is built differently. And at a neurological level, there's reasons that you respond to something that someone else might not. So he's going to talk a little bit about how that works. I really enjoyed it. But we just finished uh, recording the Run It By My Wife with Sonia, and this is actually her favorite episode to date, which is saying a lot because we've had some amazing guests on. So I think people are going to love this one. I think it's going to be very eye-opening, and if nothing else, it's going to broaden your horizons. With that, if you're enjoying the show, I, I can't say it enough. Thank you to everyone who's left a review. Thank you to everyone who's left a rating or reached out personally. We really appreciate it. We're glad people are loving the show. If you would, follow along wherever you're listening and uh, leave a rating because it really does help. We want to continue to grow this thing. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who's done that. And if you'd be so kind, take the time and, and hit five stars. So I've been uh, told that it would be best if I started tightening these intros up, so I'm going to do just that today. Without further ado, let's welcome Christian to the show. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. In doing research, uh, just kind of on your background, uh, you've done quite a bit. 
right? We were talking, um, you're, you're a staff writer for T Nation. You have your own business. Uh, and you were, I have it written down here. You were working for the St. Louis Blues, right? At the center of- I don't know the Blues themselves. I was uh, the head strength and conditioning coach at the Central Institute for Human Performance, yeah. which was the official center for the Blues. Right, right, right. Okay. So, so we were not like affiliated. Like the official strength coach at the time was Nelson Ayat, who was like- the head of our center. Mm. I, I did work with plenty of the blues players, uh, like Keith Kachuk, uh, Bill Guerin back then, and some of these guys. Uh, we probably had like 20 of the blues players turning there. We have a few cards players, uh, a few Rams players. Steven Jackson was there. Okay, not not a bad athlete in his own right. Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually I didn't stick it there that long, though, because I actually met my wife-to-be uh, like two weeks before leaving for St. Louis. Of course, oh, it was no just kidding. a thing at the time, right? Yeah, and she doesn't speak English, right? Oh, so, okay. and, so she speaks French? Yeah, I'm, ta French, I'm, so, I'm uh, taking a leap out there. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I found out about you through neurotyping, but but your company mm -hmm. does all sorts of things. For, for the people yeah. who are listening who might not have been exposed to what your team is doing yet, can you kind of give just a, a, an overview of, mm -hmm. um, you know, your company's mission and the types of things that you guys are doing? Well, a combination of, of anything related to, to training, getting in better shape. Mm -hmm. uh, I train people either online or in person, um, although nowadays it's more online because I'm traveling quite a bit for seminars. Yeah. Uh, but we have people ranging from pro athletes, Olympians, all the way down to just the average people who just want to look better. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, my own specialty is more in the, on the performance side of things. Uh, whereas yeah. I have some some team members, some coaches who are more specialized in just looking good naked. <laughs> so so that's how our clients are, are separated. I also, of course, that's a good uh, distinction. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, but it, it's not the same thing. You can actually look good and perform great, but if you want to optimize one, you, you will need to use some different strategies, uh, mm. especially when it comes to like really fine tune your your physical performance. Now, uh, also the, the the thing I like to do most, of course, is more the educational side of things. So I give uh, seminars, of course, before the crisis, I was doing them mostly abroad, Europe, Eastern Europe, Australia. Uh, I had like a big trip schedule to Asia, Hong Kong, oh, no uh, Singapore, Beijing, like, and, and like, yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but uh, of course, the, the, the whole thing started one week before I left. Oh, I, I, I didn't want to go, but my and my wife didn't want to go. But my partner said, oh, it's 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 overblown. I mean, it's China says it's safe. Dude, remember SARS, right? Yes, I'm not yeah. going there. Man, thank God. Thank God it was a week later. I mean, yeah. if you'd been, yeah, exactly. you would have been stuck. Women stuck there. That, that would have been my the, the biggest problem. I mean, because honestly... I don't believe it's that bad. I mean, I don't go out when I give seminars. I'm at the gym or the, the, the room and I'm at the hotel room. That's it. Yeah. I don't go out. But the problem was if I'm stuck there and my wife is either alone at home with a kid, mm -hmm. uh, then sh she's going to have a rough time. Yeah. Young baby. And once I come back, she would still be insecure if I might uh, give it to the baby or something like that. Oh, yeah. So thank God it didn't didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and and is this is this your first or how many kids do you have? Yeah, that's the first one. Oh, congratulations. How old? Uh, 19 months. 19 months. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one thing that this whole situation is pretty cool because we are actually like almost over teaching because we're spending like 10 hours a day with the kid. Now he's at 
18 months old. He already knows more than half of his alphabet and he knows like 10 colors. Oh, that's awesome. For, for an 18 year old, that's pretty solid. That's really good. Cause my little guy, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's two and a, he's two and a half. Uh, and you know what? He, I mean, he's a sponge and I, I feel like I'm not dedicating as much time to him learning as I should, but we're spending time with our daughter who's over five. So she's yeah. pulled out of preschool kindergartens next year. And mm. I mean, he's just picking things up by listening in the background yeah. that I didn't know exactly. that like at his age, he was capable of doing yet. And I'm not saying that I have a baby genius. It's almost like right. they're capable of a lot more than I think we give them credit for. Yeah, I, I think that, and that's a pretty cool topic that, that can actually be a good introduction to neurotyping. Oh, please. Yeah. I would love, uh, I would love to. Because I believe, of course, I, I do believe that I mean, some kids will have a greater potential, either motor potential or intellectual one, yeah. but not as much as what most people think. Hmm. I think that a lot of what we call potential, either athletic potential or, or just brain potential or intelligent potential comes from what we do the first two years of our life. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, there are sponges. So, so it, it's just a matter of like, even if a kid is like 15% more intelligent in theory, uh, if he receives a lot more information given to him the right way, yeah. he's the, he might be, end up a lot smarter than the, like, the one who has a greater potential, but the parents leave him alone. I gave a conference uh, at the KenFit Pro uh, Symposium, and it was called Your Kid Sucks and It's Your Fault. <laughs> Basically explaining that all the mistakes you can make when you are raising a kid, and the biggest one, and that's where I want to introduce the neurotyping yeah, system. Please. The, the, the biggest one is putting your kid in front of a screen. Okay. It could be a flat screen TV, could be a smartphone, could be a tablet, could be a laptop. Yeah. Because these devices, on top of like just being distracting and they can become addicted to it very, very fast, they, they emit something uh, called blue light. Mm -hmm. You probably haven't heard of it. Now, yeah. that's the way these flat screen project images, they project blue light. It's a spectrum of light that targets the dopamine receptors. Mm -hmm. It's been shown that, for example, when you're exposed to blue light, it, it's, it lights up your brain. It activates your brain. It amps it up. Yep. So that's why if you watch those screens before going to bed, it's much harder to go to bed, especially if you're sensitive to dopamine. Yeah. Now, dopamine, for those who don't know, is one of the main neurotransmitters. And it is in part what we call the pleasure neurotransmitter. So when, when you target the dopamine receptors, you stimulate a pleasure response. Mm. And for addiction is often caused by, by uh, overstimulation of the dopamine receptors by certain drugs, for example. Mm. But so is motivation. Okay. Motivation depends on how well you respond to dopamine. Think about it. Every time you achieve something, let's say you have a goal for yourself or you're supposed to do a certain task. And, and when you accomplish it, you get a dopamine response. Yeah. Okay. So if you're very sensitive to it, mm -hmm. you will get a huge pleasure response, right? So, so in the future, when you know that you have to make a certain effort to accomplish something, you are much more likely to keep pushing, even if it's hard, because your brain knows, hey, at the end, the reward right. is worth it. Yeah. If the pleasure response is very, very small, then as soon as the thing gets hard, it gets hard, you will stop trying because it's not worth the effort, right? Mm. So, so getting back to our kids, now, the more you, you, you stimulate a receptor, it could be the insulin receptors, could be the adrenaline receptors, any receptors in your body that, that deals with hormone and neurotransmitters, the more you stimulate them, the more likely they are to become resistant hmm. because they, they, they're not supposed to be overstimulated. Ah, okay. For example, 
you look at like, uh, adult onset diabetes that often comes from eating too much crap, eating too much sugar. Uh, well, it, what happens is your, your insulin receptors stop responding to insulin. Hmm. So you become de facto diabetic. Now, if you overstimulate the dopamine receptors, you can make them resistant. So now your pleasure response is lower and lower and lower and lower. You're more likely to become depressed. Yeah. You're more likely to, to like not have any interest. You will not be as positive, not as driven. Right. Because if subconsciously your brain knows, well, you know what? I won't get my, my carrot at the end. So I, I won't make the effort. And that's why you see many of these kids are being lazy because the blue light is an over stimulator of the dopamine receptors. That's why these devices are addictive. Sure, looking at glued girl 254 on Instagram, it's pretty cool. But that does not justify the fact that you want to go back every two, every three, four minutes. Right. It's because on top of the content, the blue light creates a pleasure response, making everything magnified. Yeah. Right. So, so an, an adult can very easily become desensitized well, to those symptoms and they will crave more and more. But for a kid, mm, it's even worse. And, and because they, yeah, and, and like as you're saying this, I'm I'm thinking about you know myself and my own kids. It's also like if it creates that response using something like a mobile device or a TV, like yeah. very little effort involved. Absolutely. So it's like, yeah. Hey, no, let's go run around outside or let's go play baseball. It's like, well, the, yeah. you know, this might be an over-exaggeration, but like there's a lot of effort involved to probably get yeah. an equivalent dopamine hit. That's absolutely that right. They might get from right. passively you know viewing. Yeah. But the dopamine hit won't even be similar. Hmm. You cannot compete with something artificially created like blue light combined with the fun of watching those cool images. Yeah. So the problem is that the, 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 a child's brain is still developing. So on a, an adult who receives an overstimulation of the dopamine receptors, they will become desensitized. But if you do a, like a dopamine fast, so no, no, no screen uh, for like 10 days, you will reestablish your sensitivity. You will feel a lot better. Okay. So there's some hope. Kid, yeah. Well, if I'm, I can give you some stories, but a kid can permanently damage their dopamine receptors when they are exposed to that too much when they're young. <sighs> so, uh, and, and that kind of sags into uh, the what the neurotypic system is. Yeah. Uh, the system I develop is essentially very similar to all those psychological assessment tests you see, hmm. like the anagrams that you have, you have all those tests that are used by human resources, people across the world. Yeah. Uh, I think I've three of them in the last year. Uh, dude, like the section 16 personality factors. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's actually what my father used to do. I mean, he owned uh, like an um, industrial psychology firm. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I actually worked two years for him, like with all of those tests, correcting all those tests and stuff like that. That was my introduction to it. Ah, okay. So very cool. My test, he, he actually was involved in creating the test. Oh, very cool. So, so, so the neurotyping system is similar to that. It, it's a personality assessment test, mm -hmm. but I don't really want to know someone's personality in that I want to understand how their brain is working. So for example, if you have certain personality traits, it will give me clues about which neurotransmitter system is effective or deficient. Mm. And that will give me a, a, a directions on how should I plan training? Because depending on your brain chemistry, you might not tolerate the same type of, of training. Mm. Some people will need a very intense stimulation, but can't tolerate the volume. Other, other people will be completely different. Some people will need variation. Others will need to stick to the same exercise all the time. 
diet is even more impacted by brain chemistry. I mean, mm. we know that a caloric deficit is really the key to getting leaner. And that you look at all the popular diets, if protein is equal and total calories is equal, keto, paleo, high carbs, if intermittent fasting, the fat loss results will be the same. Hmm. The main difference is that nutrients will impact brain chemistry different ways. So some people will feel great on keto yeah. while people will feel suicidal on keto. So even though the results will be the same, if you feel like crap, you're not going to stick with it. Yeah, that's interesting. And is it a matter of... So like if we go back to the training aspect of it, is it a matter of like, I think you gave the example, you know, high volume, low reps, right? Like mm -hmm. someone's more responsive to that. Is that because it's a matter of interest based on like their neurological profile or is it a matter Absolutely. of the way that their physiology actually will then respond to the type of training as well? Both. 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 Yeah. We need to look at it from a motivational standpoint. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I love this angle. Because, because and people need to understand what motivation is, mm. okay? We, and we, we often like to see it as like internal versus external motivation, right? There is, no such thing that, there is no such thing as external motivation. There are external catalysts that can increase your internal motivation. Mm. Motivation is essentially driven by, by two main neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin. Okay. Uh, so, so on one side, you're going to have dopamine. If you're very sensitive to it, you will be driven by the need to get the pleasure response by accomplishing something. Mm. If someone has a weak serotonin system, they will be more motivated by staying safe. So, and every time you need to make a decision, you're subconsciously or in your brain, you will have that fight between reward and safety. Yeah. And depending on which neurotransmitter system is dominant, then you will favor one over the other. That's why you have people who are great risk takers. Other people will always play it safe, even when the data indicate that they actually don't run that much risk. Okay? Hmm. Now, what happens is that in some people, let's say the weaker your dopamine response is, as we saw earlier, the less naturally motivated you are. So every time something requires an effort or might put your brain in danger, your body in danger, you won't do it. So for example, let's talk training. Mm -hmm. Squatting that 500 pound bar. Yeah. If I don't have a strong dopamine response and I'm scared of the weight, I won't, I'm gonna play it safe subconsciously. Yeah. So you're not chasing to increase that weight. Instead, let's just do more sets with less weight. I feel safer that way because if I do more sets, with more reps, hmm. I can control the weight better. I become better at the movement. I feel comfortable. I can program myself better. Yeah. Whereas if, me, if I'm dopamine, I want to beat the workout because every time I beat a PR, every time I lift more weight, or every time I lift something heavy that amps my brain up, I get a dopamine response. And if I have a strong response, then I will be motivated. Now, you also have external catalysts that will increase what, what, does, what do they increase? They will increase the dopamine response. For example, let's say that me personally, I, I, I'm not that sensitive to dopamine. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I train, for example, in my home gym here, I normally play it safe. Ah, okay. Because, you know, I, I okay, and this, yeah, and this I, is an actuality or is this an example? That's true. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So I'm always conservative when I train by myself, but every time I train in front of a camera, when I was shooting videos for T Nation, or if I'm training in a commercial gym and there are people around, I will always have an extra gear. Mm -hmm. Why? Because me, my, my natural pleasure response is low. I'm, I, I'm, my dopamine response is very, very small. So I, I'm not someone who's, I, I'm pretty neutral as a person. Yeah. I don't try new things because my pleasure response is low. But 
I need other people's approval. So if I'm for me, just squatting 500 will not give me a huge pleasure response by itself. Mm. But if I'm in a gym and other strong guys are there or nice looking girls are there, then squatting at 500 in my mind, oh, people will think I'm strong and awesome. Yeah. And that increase the dopamine response because now my brain knows, hey, on top of the response from being successful at the lift, I will have the dopamine response from being admired by these guys that increases the pleasure response. Now the safety to reward balance is tipped a different way. And now I'm going to try it. Yeah. So, but some people naturally have that balance here and they always want to try new things, try beat records. And if you tell them to play conservative, because you, you, you cannot have high volume and maximum weight. Okay? You have six training variables that you can play with, mm-hmm. and they all increase training stress. You can maximize one or two of them, but the other ones have to be lower. Right. So if I'm doing a, 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 I reps, I sets, lots of exercises, I can't push as hard on these exercises. Otherwise, you're going to crash. Right. You, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't just go full throttle across the yeah. board on everything. Exactly. So, so, depend, so the, the, the type of training that will naturally attract you and motivate you will depend on your brain chemistry. If you are uh, very dopamine dominant, very strong dopamine or adrenaline system, you will always want to push extra hard. You want to beat a record and holding back like not pushing to your limit, either not trying to add more weight or, or stopping two or three reps short of failure mm-hmm. will actually kill your motivation. Yeah. Because you don't feel like you're accomplishing something. It's so fun. Pardon? No, and, I, and I'm listening and I'm like, as you're talking, I'm like, man, where am I on the scale? You know, and I feel like I probably lend myself more to the dopamine dopamine side of things the way that you're describing it. And I guess that's what I'm wondering too. And we can talk about what goes into this test and like what sort of criteria you're looking at. But do you find that maybe the perception that someone has of themselves as to like which way they might be more dominant actually yeah. proves to be accurate? Or do people sometimes go through your your program and find out, oh, whoa. I'm kind of surprised by the results and I didn't think about myself in that way. Well, that's the limitation of any personality test you're conducting Mm. because there will always be both a personal bias, but also the confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. I'm this way, so I'm going to answer to prove myself I'm that way. (laughs) And that's subconscious. That's subconscious. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, my, my first uh, introduction to this mentality of using someone's psychological profile to design training programs was uh, was the work of Charles Polican. Okay. Charles Polican was my original mentor, and he created a system uh, that was very similar, but he used a different test. He didn't test for all neurotransmitters, mm. and, and I found out eventually it wasn't that accurate. Mm. But still, it was my introduction. But when I was reading his description, he, he described like a dopamine dominant type as if you want to be, a, these are the best strength athletes. They are the, 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 the strongest, the most powerful. So me, I wanted to be that, that, that right. guy. So when I did this test, I scored super high on dopamine dominance. But I'm actually very weak on the dopamine side of things. Huh. Confirmation bias. Yeah. And some people just will, will answer any psychological test to look good in front of other people. Sure. So that's why they're, they're, it can be a good clue if you're like brutally honest. Mm-hmm. But uh, normally I still prefer to do an in-person assessment. For example, uh, I use a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, body language analysis mm. when I evaluate someone. Okay. Like posture, micro expression, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I work with... A, syner- a synergologist. I mean, if, have you seen the, 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 
the series lied to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He used to be on cable, right? Where he, yeah, 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 his whole thing is like reading body language and uh, exactly. yeah, with, with some rough. Yeah. Oh, is that so, is so that, that what that profession is? Yeah, that's the well, uh, the 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 name here is called synergologist, like reading body language, ah. but it's mostly a French thing. Ah, okay. Like it, it, it's the actual science. Well, it's a pseudoscience, but it's a science. Sure. It, 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 it's by the way, pseudoscience. Does, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Pseudoscience is based oftentimes on scientific principle, but it just cannot be proven. Sure. Uh, because you cannot conduct experiments that actually prove without a doubt that it's true. Anyway, so it was created in France uh, by a guy named Philippe Truchet. And then he he, he taught to many people around the world, mostly French language people, because he only speaks French. Mm. So so you still have the same thing in other countries, but it's not based on the same material. Anyway. Uh, me, I did the, the, the uh, synergology course and I work with a synergologist and it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Like, uh, and, and gesture, facial expression, uh, body posture. When you look up with your eyes, for example, when you're talking, stuff like that. Right. So, so when I'm, when I'm interviewing someone, I, I can like look for clues in their body language there uh, to tell me, okay, that will help me confirm or infirm mm. the results of the test. And now, of course, I will ask them questions to see uh, what their personal idea is. Yeah. And is it is it possible to, um, with regards to like the dominance, is, is it possible to validate this with actual like testing? Like could someone provide blood work and then you could get a sense or? That, that's the problem uh, because uh, I, I told uh, a few, well, last year I presented at the Swiss Symposium, which is one of the biggest symposium for anything related to health and fitness. Oh, very cool. And one guy on the panel was uh, Dr. Mike Melitek. Mike Melitek uh, is a former Olympic weightlifter, which I am also. Mm. We are, and we train with, this, he's much older than I am, but we train at the same gym and with the same people. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he's a doctor now, a, a medical doctor, and he, he deals with people with drug addiction and former athletes who had both drug or performance enhancing drug mm, addiction okay. and try to bring them back, not just physiologically, but also mentally, because these drugs, even performance enhancing drugs have serious effect on brain chemistry and can completely change your personality. Yeah. Uh, it can lead to depression, can lead to suicidal thoughts, stuff like that. And he helps them get back to normal physically and mentally. Okay. And I, I, I talked to him about it. Well, do you, conduct neurotransmitters test. And said so the problem is that these tests are really not accurate for several mm. reasons. First, they actually are precise for neurotransmitter level at only 60%. So right from the start, it doesn't work that well. Mm. Second, neurotransmitters are actually released in pulses. So even if I'm measuring my, my dopamine right now, yeah. doesn't mean that it's always elevated. Right. That, and I've, I've heard and that with it, other tests, it's like, like testosterone is so dependent upon time of day, day a week, what you did yeah, the day before. Right. It's like a snapshot of a moment in time. It's, Correct. Yeah. It doesn't give you, and, 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 but with neurotransmitters, it's even worse because the, the amount you're producing mm. is only one part of the equation because it, the, the second part is how sensitive your receptors are. For example, me, I don't produce lots of adrenaline. I have DNA testing that can actually show that because some of these capacity are, 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 are genetic, for example. But what I have, though, is that my receptors are super sensitive to adrenaline. So as a result, 
in a normal state, when I'm at home, what I will be the laziest person ever because my adrenaline is super low. But See, I think people would be surprised to hear that, especially those listening, because you're, you know what I mean? Dude. Like you're very engaging, energetic. You're like, this guy must operate yeah, at 100 miles an hour. That's because I'm under high adrenaline. Uh, I mean, right now, I'm, I'm the alpha version of myself. When I give seminar, it's even worse. Yeah. The, the more <laughs> adrenaline I have, the the more of an A personality I become. Yeah. But in normal situation, I, I'm as better as you can find. Mm. Like my wife is running the show. I, I, I'm whipped, dude. I mean, at home, I'm, <laughs> I'm super lazy. Because unless I get adrenaline, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm nothing. But I respond so strongly to it that even a small amount of adrenaline amps me up and, and put me in. I'm basically Bruce Banner and in, in the, in the Incredible Hulk. Right. Or <laughs> Prince Adam and Eman. That's basically me, right? Yeah. So that's the second part of the equation. The third part is how well do you clear or get rid of these neurotransmitters? Mm. For example, let's take the what I would call the, the extreme 1A personality, Donald Trump. Okay. okay? So Donald Trump, we, what you see is what you get. Mm. Okay. He will never change his personality to fit someone's. He, he's like the elephant in the porcelain store. You might like or not like his style. Right. Okay. But, but at least you know what you're getting. Yeah. And he will do anything to win. He will do anything to win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which can be a strength or weakness. Sure. But but that that type of personality like that, and they are often seen as assholes because they they have zero empathy. They don't feel the need to please other people so they can actually bully people because they have no regard for how they are feeling. That's not because they're bad people. That's because that's the way their brain is wired. Right. Well, they're probably bad people, but they, were, but they are also very charismatic. These people are super charismatic normally. Yeah, okay. okay. I'm, I have a couple wired. people in my head right now yeah. that I know that I'm like, yeah, totally. A lot of business people are like that because <laughs> I mean, that kind of personality allows you to thrive in very competitive environment. And also environment that requires you to work 28 hours a day. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay? Because these people, the, the main characteristic, they, they, they have high dopamine and high adrenaline all the time. Mm -hmm. The reason is from a genetic perspective, genetic point of view, the enzyme responsible for getting rid of adrenaline and dopamine is very, very, very slow. It's called the COM. T enzyme, it can be fast or slow, and that's genetic. Okay. okay. People with a slow COMT, once they release adrenaline or dopamine, it stays high for hours. Hmm. The thing is, adrenaline, okay, it makes you think faster. It, you, be, you become like, like I am right now. I'm expressive, I'm demonstrative, right. I'm loud, I talk a lot. Okay. That's adrenaline. Yeah. It makes you confident, make you driven, competitive, but also impatient, aggressive. Yeah. Okay. And also you, you tend to talk before you think because adrenaline speeds your brain up. You speed your brain up. So you have no filter. Yeah. You have no filter because you don't have time to analyze everything because you say it. So people who don't clear adrenaline, they become basically like that 24 seven. They don't sleep much. They don't need sleep because they are always in overdrive. And the reason why they, and again, empathy is another thing, right? Because to me, that's a pretty cool topic. Because uh, it helped me understand uh, like why someone is that way or that way. I mean, can you you have like more people who are, and it's funny because, and I don't want to get into politics or everything because I don't want to ruffle feathers. But there's an actual pretty solid connection okay. with between brain chemistry and uh, political leaning. Oh, people who are on the left will be naturally more empathetic. Okay. 
because they favor the social side of things, the well-being of others uh, over financial success and, and big companies, stuff like that. Sure. Whereas people on the right will tend to be a lot more pragmatic, a lot less empathetic because they favor more logic over emotions. Mm. And that comes from one neurotransmitter called glutam uh, glutamate. Okay. Glutamate is the emotional amplifier. Okay. Mm. It, it increases how strongly you feel. In fact, it's, its official function is memory. Glutamate helps you learn things and store them in your memory better. Okay. That's the main function. But the way it does that is I, it's by amplifying emotion. Okay. The way your brain works, okay, you, we all have a selective memory. Sure. Uh, we yeah. And not just because we want to forget some things. It, it, the brain will decide, okay, this event... I will store it in an important place in my brain. This one I can disregard mm -hmm. because if we remember absolutely everything we did in our day, we would go crazy. Yeah, that, that would be way too much information to store. And one of the ways your brain decide what will be stored in your brain and what will take the most room is your emotional state when that happens to you. The greater the emotions, the more room it spends in your brain. Yeah. Okay. And glutamate, what it does, it amplifies emotions. And by amplifying the intensity of your emotions, you favor storing that information. Got it. But, but if, you, if you amplify emotions, then you will be a more emotional person. You, you feel more strongly. You are probably less objective, more subjective, more driven by those emotions, yeah. right? More mood swings. Now, that's the first part of empathy. Okay. You need to be able to feel, to be empathetic. Mm. I mean, if you are someone with zero emotion, how can you feel what somebody else is feeling? Because that's what empathy is. The second component of empathy is being able to recognize the emotional state of a person. Okay. Yeah. And not only, so you need to recognize that and feel that. And we have in our brain what are called, and I'm going all over the place here. No, sorry this about is, that. I think this is really interesting. Quite, quite honestly. So, what happens is, okay, we have uh, in our brain cells called, called the mirror neurons. Okay. okay. Mirror neurons are responsible in part for learning by watching. Hmm. Okay. People who are naturally good at learning simply by looking at somebody do, do a golf swing, for example, it's because their mirror neurons are really good. People with great mirror neurons, they are looking at a sport movement. They can actually feel it yeah. almost. See what I mean? No, I do. And, I do, yeah. So, so, and the way they discovered that is they did some studies on monkeys. They, they were looking at which part of the brain worked, depending on if the monkey was looking at a banana, was grabbing it, was tasting it. And they saw that different part of the brain would lit up. Hmm. Then they took a second monkey, put it in front of the first one, also with electrodes on his brain, to see if just by looking, the same zone would light up. Yeah. And the same zone would light up, plus a little small zone the mirror neurons that would direct which zone of your brain will light up. Just by looking at a, at a, at a motion or something, the, the mirror neurons recognize what it is and lights up the zone in your brain that would light up if you were doing it. Right. And it actually applies to emotions. So if I'm looking at someone and it has that person has a certain body language, mm -hmm. if me, I had that body language at one point in my life, my brain will recognize it and light up the same zone in my brain. That's the first part of empathy. Yeah. If you have iglutamate on top of that, it will amplify the emotions I'm feeling just by looking at you. Right. That's what empathy is. Through empathy is you're truly feeling bad for the person who feels bad. Yeah. Okay. 
because the emotions are amplified. Yeah. So that would be like true empathy. You also have intellectual empathy. People who can recognize objectively that you feel bad and I want to please you. So I will act like I'm like sad about what's happening to you, but I actually don't feel it. That's my case. I'm a people pleaser. And that's interesting. And is that in part two, like if someone just doesn't have had that shared experience in their background to pull from, do you know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't have that emotional, uh, I don't know, files stored away that they can like light up. Absolutely. Mm. And you need to at least have something similar occur or have that by a similar body language. Right. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. For example, let's say that I've never played golf, but I've played baseball. Right. If I'm looking at a baseball, a golf swing, I can still feel what it feels like sure. because I've swung before and it's fairly similar. Yeah. But if I've never played, I've never swung anything, I, I, that won't register. Yeah. So you, you do need a, a, a background and the more background you have, the more you're going to be able to be empathetic. Mm. Also, and we talked about the mirror neuron, but to get back to neurotyping, yeah. There's a, a neurotransmitters involved in that mirror neuron efficiency, and it's called acetylcholine. Okay. Acetylcholine is the neurotransmitters that makes great athletes. Okay, the more acetylcholine you have, the better your potential to be a great athlete. Interesting. For and so, many, many, many reasons. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was gonna say. So, like, I would love to hear, like, why? Why is that? What role does that play? Well, the acetylcholine is also in, it's involved in, in learning, okay. in coordination, in storing information in your brain, and more importantly, retrieving that information mm. when it's needed. Hmm. Uh, it's also uh, responsible for making various parts of your brain functioning faster. So it improves coordination. It improves learning, both intellectual learning and motor learning. I can learn a gesture better. I'm more coordinated. Yeah. Also plays a big role in speed of contraction at the ah. muscle. It makes the muscle more sensitive to recruitment. Also makes the stretch reflex better. So you'll be more explosive, yeah. more agile. Okay. It has more of an impact on agility than on pure speed, but it still plays a big role in both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, um, it also increase. It's a neurotransmitter that has the greatest role on creativity, hmm. uh, because creativity is really a matter of of three things. Okay, and by the way, creativity is one of the two components of being an exceptionally gifted athlete. Absolutely. What we call nat- what we call natural talent. Right. It's a combination of creativity and motor control. Well, and I'm thinking, and I don't know why this is the first thing that comes to mind, but I think about like Dr. J, right? Like yeah, the way right. he played basketball at, at that time, he, he played it in a completely different fashion. You know, everyone has- You learn on the playground. You, yeah. you learn on the playground, so you don't, and, and that's actually the point that I, that I make in, in many, many seminars. You could look at Pele at soccer, oh, same thing. Yeah, absolutely. These guys learn on the street mm-hmm. and on the street, you don't use the typical playing strategy that you force kids to play with using a, a, a rigid system. Yeah. Rigidity is the enemy of creativity. Yeah. They did a study on the, the, the German national soccer team okay. and they looked at the differences between those who were a member of the national team and those who played division two or three were still professional, but lower level. Mm. And they found no differences in body type, no differences in, in physical capacity, endurance, strength, range of motion. Uh, they, they found no difference in experience in league play. In fact, those who were division two or three had more experience in organized soccer. Hmm. The one difference 
was that those who made a national team had more experience in unstructured play. Because that is where you develop creativity, like play backyard football. Yeah. Or, or like backcourt, uh, like a, a play basketball on the street. You, you learn different strategies. I was just reading, so um, and it was recommended to me. I don't know if you know him, Gavin McMillan. He runs Sports Science Lab out of Irvine, California. He recommended the talent code to me. And mm. there is a section in there about soccer players from Brazil. It's like, why are they producing like a greater percentage of elite soccer players versus all these other countries? Like, is it genetic? And the answer is, you know, mostly no, but they play a very specific type of like backyard, backyard soccer with a smaller, heavier ball that like forces yeah. them to be more creative in the way. Smaller space. Exactly. Operate within smaller spaces that you wouldn't have to operate within if you were just playing organized soccer. And it feels like it's exactly like what you're talking about here. 100%. I worked with a youth soccer program in a city here because my, the, the, uh, the, the organizer is one of my clients and hmm. he asked me to give a presentation and yet they actually developed their program based on what I was saying. And they are just kicking ass all, all over the place. Yeah. But they basically change their practice setting and they will change the shape of the field, change the number of players. Sometimes they will play with the one eye patch on, you will play with different balls just to get different conditions. Yeah. So, so that's how you build creativity. Yeah. If you compare that, for example, in, in soccer or hockey here in Canada, uh, you have kids that are like nine years old mm. and they're already playing like the same systems they use in the NHL. Why? Because the coach wants to prove that he knows his hockey. Mm -hmm. okay? I'm going to play the, uh, like a, the, the West Coast offense with, with like pee with football. Eight year olds. Yeah. Dude, it makes no <laughs> sense. And like a, a, a rigid system is the enemy of creativity. Anyway, to get back to what I was saying, uh, acetylcholine, is the neurotransmitter responsible for creativity because it is responsible for accumulating knowledge, experiences, and storing them, then retrieving them when needed mm. to make them in, in, in combination with other things to create new solutions. So uh, the more acetylcholine you have, the more creative you are, and the more you will want to experiment in new things. Yeah. Because that's the thing. when your brain has a capacity, you want to use it. Yep. And so, so, so the thing that I'm thinking about, and, and I imagine some folks listening, like everything you're saying, I keep running it through this checklist of like, does that describe me? And in some instances, I'm like, yes. I'm like, okay, like that's probably why I had some of the success I did, you know, and especially for people with kids, like, is it a situation where it's like, look, you either have it or you don't, and you're kind of mm -hmm. limited by that? Or mm -hmm. is this the sort of thing, and maybe this is where your neurotyping comes into play, that if you have an understanding of your strengths and weaknesses, you know, by way of that understanding, you can actually train in a way that's going to propel you to hopefully reaching a higher potential than you would have otherwise. Well, there is there is a genetic component. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, for example, the enzyme responsible for breaking down uh, adrenaline. adrenaline and so that that's highly genetic. For example, the enzyme that that converts glutamate into GABA would also be highly genetic. If you have a lot of that enzyme, you'll be uh, like basically someone with zero empathy but you'll be amazing under pressure mm. because you will have going to have super high GABA, super low glutamate. So you can more easily control your brain. You don't get overexcited. You don't get uh, out of control under adrenaline so you can better function, yeah. but you won't be a great person to be around it uh, for, for a long time, for example. Don't, so they'll invite you to a funeral or a wake. Correct. Yeah. Well, I, these are the guys at funeral that actually try to be the life of the party. <laughs> we all know yeah. these guys, yep. right? Right. So that, <laughs> 
typical like uh, person with very high adrenaline, very high dopamine, they can't break it down and no glutamine. Right. Typical. Right. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, you, you can impact your brain chemistry based on what you're doing. Mm. Stress will have a huge impact on brain chemistry because the hormone released when you're under stress, cortisol. Yeah. will impact neurotransmitter. That's why we change. M many people change quite a bit when they're under stress. Oh, yeah. Uh, for example, okay, okay, I'm going to look at the, just the lockdown. Okay. Yeah. Lockdown, people who are normally good people turn out to be total assholes. Hmm. The reason is that cortisol will actually increase adrenaline. Hmm. And if you're stressed about your, about your job, about not being able to go outside, cortisol is always high, adrenaline is always high, so you're always, you have a problem sleeping, but always aggressive, competitive. Competitive, when you're playing sport, that's pretty cool. When you're a business guy, it's pretty cool. When you're stuck at home with only your wife and you're competitive, <laughs> it means I want to pick fight yep. and win the fight. Yeah. So you're going to do crazy shit that will like ruin your marriage. I, my, my prediction is that this whole crisis will lead to a world record in, in divorce rate and probably suicide. Yeah, I know. We've, uh, off the record, my wife and I have talked about that. It's like this, this thing, especially folks living in like real confined yeah. conditions like all my mm. buddies in New York and I'm not saying they're going to get divorced. So if anyone's listening, but it's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's going to put incredible stress on the relationship. And to your point, totally. like that stress can literally, it sounds like alter brain chemistry and, and the way that people behave. Yeah. It does because you look at cortisol first, the, the first impact, it will increase adrenaline, mm. increase adrenaline, you, be, you increase aggressiveness and competitive, which, which is not great when you're confined in, a five room apartment. Like if you're like in a three stories house, like me, if I feel like crap, I can just go downstairs and my wife's upstairs. So we're good. Yep. Right. Uh, but if you're in an apartment, that's pretty hard to do. And it will also impact glutamate. I mean, cortisol, the stress hormone increases the production of glutamate mm. and also the sensitivity to it, which means that you're now more responsive to emotions. So when you feel good, you feel amazing. But when you feel like crap, you feel like the whole shit. Amplified, yeah. You would amplify your emotion while you are under high adrenaline. I mean, you're going to throw knives within a few weeks. <laughs> but the problem is that the longer the situation lasts, the more the impact will be profound yeah. because you keep targeting those neurotransmitters. So stress will have a huge, huge, huge impact yeah. on, on personality. So you can change that. But, but to get back to your question about kids... Uh, there's a genetic component, but what you do in the first two or three years of a kid's life will have a huge impact on their brain chemistry. Mm. Uh, it, it's true for like, watching screens, uh, but also nutrition. Okay. For example, uh, I, I was I, as soon as uh, Jaden was able like to eat solid food, we all like, we started eating eggs and, and meat. That's the first two things he started eating. No kidding. We're going through that yeah. right. We're going through that right now with our youngest. Yeah. I think it was mangoes. Or, wow. organic, organic mangoes and then followed by blueberry and then uh not a fan of carrots not a fan of carrots but, but, but the, the, the eggs and meat as much as a kid can eat them it, it, it's great because it has very high in choline mm. which will increase the production of acetylcholine so they can learn a lot better oh interesting uh, yeah using probiotics vitamin d and fish oil i i've Always added fish oil, vitamin D, and probiotics to uh, to the, the evening bib. Yeah. Oh, because that's smart. And I get, probiotics. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The, the 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 microbiome, like in your stomach, it has a huge impact on neurotransmitters production. Mm -hmm. So serotonin and okay, 
the more serotonin you have, the more easy, easily you can tolerate with stress. You can tolerate stress. The less anxiety you have, mm. the less likely you are to become depressed. And the more easily you can adjust your behavior. Okay. People with low serotonin have very high adaptation issues. They have problems shutting their brain down. Hmm. Uh, and again, it's not to brag, but Jaden was sleeping 12 hours straight from the moment he was three months old. And he has not, he had one night, one night where he didn't sleep because he was teething. Yeah. But even then, even then the other nights, even when he was teething, he would sleep 12 hours straight. A lot of parents are listening right now and they're going to get your email. And just, just just, yeah, they're just going to start trolling yeah. your inbox. They're so jealous. Yeah. I think that one of the reasons is that it, it's balanced brain chemistry. Hmm. And the first symptom of low serotonin you have, you just can't shut your brain down. Yeah. And you also have panic attacks. Hmm. Uh, you will, will choke under pressure. Uh, so, so that's one big problem. And so athletes, they, they need to be optimized. So the problem is, of course, once you're an adult, you can still impact brain chemistry. But more importantly, you need to minimize stress that will, to make sure that at least you become the better version of yourself. Yeah. And I've, I've, that's something that, uh, you know, more and more research continues to validate this. And like what you're saying falls in line with what I was finding through personal experience, but just like the compounding effects of stress on every area of my life. You know, and like as, you know, once I had kids and was married and I, I was working, uh, you know, for a tech startup and there was a lot of pressure because I'm in sales and it was like, man, it was like the stress experienced in the arena of, of work had so mm -hmm. many like ramifications on like my mood Dude. at home, how I was sleeping and then consequentially how I felt the next morning when I woke up. And it was like the, the research that I continue to stumble upon and conversations that I have with folks like yourself continue to validate it. But it's like, God, stress just seems to be like the, the start of the snowball. Absolutely. Well, it, so many it, things. It, it, more than that, it, it's the snowstorm. It, the snowstorm. Yeah. Because it, if you look at it this way, okay, and it, it's it's purely physiological. Stress, what it really is, it, it's the tiger you're facing when you're a caveman. Hmm. Okay? Right. The body doesn't know the difference. Any kind of stressor actually stimulates the same stress response. It increases cortisol. Yeah. You don't have 10,000 stress hormone in your body. You have cortisol. And the function of cortisol it's called, I call it the, people call it the stress hormone. I call it the readiness hormone. Right. The function of cortisol is to make sure that your body is capable of facing any enemy. Mm -hmm. Okay. As soon as it's released, your body is in defensive or offensive mode. I'm fighting something or I'm defending against something. Yeah. Right? And it will, and your brain cortisol will trigger all the responses in your brain and body that puts you in the best possible state to fight that stress. Mm. One of it is increasing adrenaline. Cortisol increases adrenaline. As we saw earlier, it makes you think faster. It makes you react faster. It makes you more confident. Mm -hmm. You have a feeling of being strong. Uh, you are more creative because your brain is working over time. Right. Your muscles are stronger. You're contracting harder. Your muscle tone is higher. Like one of the reasons you'll notice a lot of people will get headaches uh, or back pain when they're under stress. Okay. Huh. The, the reason behind that is, is, is simply that the, the adrenaline increase muscle tone. Your muscles become tighter, become, become harder. Hmm. Because if your muscles are already contract, because muscle tone, how hard your muscle feels, it's nothing more than your muscles being partially contracting uh. so that they will be ready to jump at gun. See what I yeah. mean? If it's, if it's contracted at like 
okay, if you go in a sprinting block and you are asleep, everything is relaxed. There's no way you can right, take You're not going to contract. Yeah. You need to be wound like a tight ball. Then you can explode. Same thing. So if your body wants to be ready, it will contract your muscles so that you can more easily explode. Now, the problem is if you have too much adrenaline, your muscle, your muscle will become tight. Instead of being just firm and hard, it will become tight. Yeah. And if you become tight, they are shortening and that will create tension around the neck. You can even uh, like squeeze the nerve there and you're going to have the tight hip flexors that can actually lead to back problems. Yeah. So you don't actually have back problems. You don't have neck problems. It's just you have too much muscle tone. So that would be one issue. Then you, you have problems sleeping because adrenaline, what it does, it speeds your brain up. Yeah. If it speeds your brain up, you can't shut it down to go to sleep. Hmm. So that just compounds everything. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I, I've even, I can't remember where I picked it up. And I was just talking to someone about this the other day, but this idea of, you know, cortisol not necessarily being a stress hormone. And we weren't talking about cortisol by name, but like my mm -hmm. buddy had to go give a speech and it was in front of yeah. a fairly large group of people, but more importantly, a, a group of people he really respected. And mm -hmm. so either he's getting a lot of anxiety around it. And I remember yeah. it must've been a book or maybe a podcast. I don't know where I picked it up, but it was like the stress that you're experiencing isn't inherently a negative, right? It's, it's actually your body getting prepared, like you said, for battle or flight, yeah. right? So I was like, look, you got to think of it in terms of like, it's your body and mind are getting prepared to do something great. Like take yeah. that and try and kind of repurpose it. And he was mm -hmm. like, you know, will you quit talking about your body for two seconds? I was like, you're missing the point, man. Like you gotta, you, you, actually, Go ahead. It's funny because what you are doing yeah. is actually the best thing you could you can do. Okay, well, the that's what I want to ask you. Yeah, is, is what, what's your recommendation for folks? The best way to overcome like what we would see as psychological problems, mm. anxiety, stress, is, the more, is basically making it as objective as possible. Mm. Because if you understand everything that's going on, then you can actually look at it from like the – you can – reduce the emotional load of what's going on yeah the stress is not positive or negative it just puts your body in the optimum state to fight a tiger or run away from a tiger mm. the problem is when you start to panic about the state you are in then it just snowballs and it increases adrenaline even more now you're losing control of your brain that's the thing people misunderstand anxiety yeah. anxiety is nothing more then your brain firing too fast. Okay. It's your, your, you can either speed your neuron, your neurons up or slow them down. Yeah. Okay. And the faster the, the faster your neurons fire, you're thinking faster. I'm reacting faster. I'm stronger. Mm -hmm. But if I'm, if they're going too fast, thinking faster becomes overthinking. Yeah. Reacting faster becomes overreacting. Muscles contracting harder become tense and tight muscles. Right. I think choke under pressure because what? They are overthinking, overreacting, and they're losing uh, their motor pattern because they're tight. Yeah. In, in real life, it's the same thing. What happens is if you have too much adrenaline for the neurotransmitter that are calming your brain down, you have too much of the neurotransmitter that speed the brain up, not enough that calms you down. Okay. Yep. So, so what happens is your brain is going so fast, you're losing control of your thought process. Mm. Your brain is making stories up. You're creating scenarios in your head. Yeah. You have an emotional load of scenario. And the faster the brain works, the, 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 the more you, the brain can convince you that those scenarios are actually real. Right. So, so, so that's a really bad combination. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, what – I guess you kind of already gave one recommendation. It's right. It's like objectively identify what's happening 
you know, I guess maybe it's like, it's don't internalize it as it's like, this is your state of being like, there's something wrong with you. It's like, no, objectively, this is your body responding to a stressor. I don't know if most people approach things in that way in their day-to-day life, but like, well, you know, what what advice do you have for folks? Because this is something that's universal, whether you're an athlete, whether you have a business meeting, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, you need to find out like the reason why that's happening, because uh, in reality, it could be that you have a stressor that creates too much adrenaline Mm. or you might be lacking in the neurotransmitter responsible for balancing your brain down. Uh, Poor nutrition, for example, Mm. poor nutrition can lead to serotonin problem. Serotonin, the neurotransmitter that is, I call it the equalizer. Serotonin allows you to keep your brain in the ideal state for what you need to do right now. If you, if you need to be, uh, the example I could give you, the, the serotonin is like the brake pedal in your car. Mm. It's not on or off. It can allow you to just slow down a bit or even like you release it and you can go a bit faster. Serotonin does that. If, if you are in a situation where your brain needs to be amped up, yep. serotonin will allow you to do that. If you need to calm yourself down, serotonin will do that. It will make your, your neural state uh, in accordance to what you need to do. Going back to like the, the, the personality, like Donald Trump, the, the one A personalities yeah. in my system, they don't have serotonin, and that's genetic. Okay, they, In their case, they, they are what we call poor methylator. Their methylation cycle is really bad. I, I won't go through all the cycles here, but they, basically the, the end product is they have low serotonin. Okay. They have low serotonin, it, low glutamate, low acetylcholine because of that, which means that they, have, they, they can't yeah. adapt. They, they will always, they, they are like, they, they will always stay the same. And oddly enough, you have another personality in my type, in my, 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 my category, uh, category that uh, type three, which is the dra- dramatic opposite. Introverts, like think the, the accountant, the IT guy, the guy who like never gets out of his office, uh, who does, is super introverted, super shy, always does the same thing at the same time, OCD behavior to the limit, never pick fights. They are actually extremely similar from a brain chemistry perspective to Donald Trump. Ah, interesting. The actual, right? the actual personality, the external personality is completely yeah. different because of one neurotransmitter. But, but in reality, both have adaptation problems. Mm. That's why the, the, the type 3 is OCD. The, the type 3 will internalize all this stressor. The 1A will externalize by controlling other. The type 3 will control himself to the mm. limit. The 1A will control others. That's his way of dealing with the yeah. adrenaline. The type 3, also high adrenaline, they can't break it down, super anxious, can't sleep. And to try to control that adrenaline, they will stick to things they are super comfortable with to avoid more adrenaline. Right. Yeah, See yeah, what yeah. I mean? So it's, it, the, the difference is only one neurotransmitter. It's called GABA. GABA is the – if serotonin is the brake pedal, GABA is the parking brake. It's the on or off switch. So the type 1A, they have lots of GABA. Mm. So, so they can actually shut down when needed. They cannot modulate their behavior, but they can shut down. Got so it. they can calm themselves. So they're still good under pressure. So they can like perform like crazy, then they shut down and they can go back up again. The type 3, their brain is always firing. The overthinker or paralysis by overanalysis. Yeah. They get to sleep because they're in bed thinking, thinking, thinking. They, they can't make a decision. Because they are waiting a pros and a cons. Yeah, but have you thought of this, of that? And they never make decisions because of that. If they need all the facts. As clients, for example, they will be the client that, okay, I just spent 60 minutes 
teaching you to squat with all the technical details, you're still going to ask me 20 yeah. questions. And that's not because like you, you didn't listen. It's not because you're an asshole. It's because you need to understand every little detail to reduce the anxiety that will increase adrenaline, getting ah, you out of control. It's a survival I mechanism. See. So behavior is oriented, but what, okay. There is no such thing as a good person. There is no such thing as a bad mm. person. We are what our brain chemistry is and we act to give our brain what it needs to feel satisfied. Yeah. The type three, they need to keep everything under control because they lose control inside. Hmm. The one A, the, the assholes, <laughs> the, 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 they control others. That's their way of maintaining the feeling of control that they think they're losing because of the high yeah. adrenaline. So that's so interesting. And so how then does this relate to how you, like, okay, so, people can go and they can take this test on your, on your site and I'll link to the site. How does this then translate to how you actually program for your athletes then once, once, you know, they've gone through the neurotyping you or they have an understanding of hopefully where they fall kind of on this yeah. scale. That I have plenty of videos explaining, yeah, for yeah. example, what, yeah. So, um, First of all, okay, we have uh, five main personality yeah. types. We have some, some the, the 1A, the 1B, the 2A, 2B, and yeah. type 3. Uh, the, the 1A and 1B are the dopamine dominant personalities. Mm. So they are competitive, they are driven, they are highly motivated, but for different reasons. The 1A is dopamine dominant because when he, once he released dopamine and, and adrenaline, he can't break it down. Mm. So he's always here, yeah, always here, all, always yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he can't stop. Workaholic. Uh, they, they love to argue. They will. They 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 they, they don't. They, they can't accept losing. They uh, they are even sociopath. They can actually be like at the limit of sociopath. Mm. Just like the type three are, are, are obsessive compulsive. They will be more Got sociopathic uh, because they're very low um, empathy. The the one B on the other hand, the one uh, B breaks down dopamine so fast that their receptors remains extraordinarily sensitive mm. because they are stimulated. As soon as they're stimulated, you can take it out. Think of okay, the, like the best skilled athlete you've ever like played yeah. with. Okay. Super lazy in practice. <laughs> Doesn't want to train hard when he gets even before between games, he's joking around the locker room. He's having fun at the, at the end of the game, everything's cool. Yeah. Right. But what, when you need to turn it on, he's the guy you want mm. in your corner. He's the guy that, you know, as a coach, when I was younger, I would say, well, dude, if only that guy trained hard, how good he would be, right? We always think of, like, sprinters are like that mm. all the time. A sprinter, it takes an hour just to get into the workout, okay? Basketball players, highly skilled basketball players, for example. I know a example. lot of guys <laughs> this bill. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's because these guys – break down dopamine and, and adrenaline so fast that even when they get they, they, they are basically always low adrenaline low dopamine super chill relax i want to look net watch netflix mm -hmm. all day but they are so responsive to both of them dopamine and adrenaline and as soon as there's a little bit of competition going on dude they are machines yeah. okay so that's different they are both dopamine dominant and the type 1B is the personality that will oftentimes become easily addicted. Hmm. Addicted to drugs, addicted to video games, because video games target the dopamine receptors like crazy. And these guys are super sensitive to it. They will be highly uh, likely to become dependent on drugs like 
uh, like amphetamines, like like um, even MDMA, even though it targets the serotonin and the dopamine. Anyway, so they are more of an addictive yeah. personality because they are so strong, and they always want to try new things because they get a big pleasure response for mm. everything. They will be like the anyway. So that's a, the, the type one. The type two A. It's like me. The 2A is the type uh, in the middle. The 2A is the actor. The 2A is the mimicker. The 2A is the person who adapts the mm. most. They will change their personality based on the person they are with, the situation, and what they need to accomplish. Because from a neurotransmitter perspective, they are balanced. They have pretty much the same level of everything, no real yeah. dominance. So they can actually pretend to be anything. Mm. Me, like right now, the person you see right now is the complete opposite of what I really am. And depending on who I'm doing the podcast with, my person even then will change. My language will yeah. change. Uh, if I'm doing a podcast with uh, like a, a guy with lots of tattoos, I will swear a lot more, <laughs> for example. Yeah, no, yeah, I get, I get it, yeah. And that's why for me, for example, and that was like always been a big issue in my relationship mm. is that my wife is a family-driven person. And she like she has a huge like a hundred person and big big family reunion stuff like that. I I can't do it because the day before I actually get fucking anxious. Right. Anxious. I never understand why. To me, it's like a huge stress. I couldn't understand why. I've spoken in front of four hundred right. people, and but speaking speaking in front of a crowd, I know these guys like right. me. A crowd is one person. Yeah. I'm one person. What created the anxiety is me. My, my modus operandi is to create a persona that fits the person I'm talking right. to or the situation. Okay. So if I'm speaking from the crowd, I'm, I'm Chris, the speaker. That's fine. If I'm coaching 30 athletes, it's Chris, the coach, even though it's 30 different personalities, it's, it's right. fine. If I'm in a family reunion, there's going to be a hundred people. What personally do I adapt? Adapt to whom do I want to relate? Yeah, in each interaction, it probably you go through that process of mirroring and like, exactly. yeah. You can imagine the stress on the brain. Mm. That's huge. That's also why I stopped doing personal training. Oh, okay. With personal training with, with athletes, you pretty much always get the same thing, right? Well, or like more yeah. or less with personal, like in regular, because when I moved back to Canada. I'm, my, my wife lived in a super small town, so very few athletes there. So I started working more with general population. And what was really hard was when I, every time I saw a new client on, on my, uh, my calendar, I would freak out hmm. because I need that guy to like me. I need people to, um, I, I need to be liked. That's, I have low self-esteem. I need other people to like me, to feel good yeah. myself. And to me, for me, the strategy is I'm going to project an image you are going to yeah. like. But if I don't know you or you just see your name on my schedule, I have no idea who I need to project. That's created lots of stress. And that happened eight to 10 times oh. a day. And then every time, I, even when I knew the client, I still needed to project a different personality. Yeah. But that's draining. That's draining. So when I, once I got home, I had no more energy to be a good person for my wife. Yeah. So, so no, I get. And I, again, like it's funny because and I imagine a lot of people must feel this way when they go through this exercise. It's like I can see bits and pieces of myself in a lot of these categories, you know, mm -hmm. and so. But yeah, I can I can empathize with that because, um, again, I'm in sales. That's a big piece of it. Right. Like the whole game is 
like one, if you're selling something that you have a lot of confidence in, you feel that can help the person, you're going to do much better. But yeah, a big piece of that is the mirroring, right? Like ultimately people want to work with people they like. So subconsciously mm-hmm. or not, when you go in that room, like you want them to like you and often like mm-hmm. you have to present an image of yourself that is going to be well received. Yeah. And it does, yeah. to your point, become like a lot more complicated when you're dealing with a room of 10 people versus one. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, what image of myself right. am I putting off that's going to get the majority of these people to be receptive to what I'm trying to say? That's why the, the, the best salesmen, they are either type 1A. Mm-hmm. Or, or the type 2A. The type 1A is like the, the guy who is super loud. I mean, like remember the movie Tommy Boy? <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, well, the, 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 like the father, the way yeah. he was, right? Like the, the Bob he, Callahan. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. That, that's a type 1A like, to the T, like super yep. salesman. It, extremely charismatic, fun to be around, high energy, big personality. You just want to say yes to that guy, even if you don't right. need it, right? And the 2A, the 2A is the person who will give them what they want to hear. I will like relate to them. I will, uh, we will share stories and oh yeah, I had the same thing happen to me. Isn't that awesome? Have you been there? Do you know this guy? Uh, Name dropping, like just create uh, like one-on-one rapport Mm. to facilitate the sale because that's the weapon they have. These are the two best type of salesmen. No, that, that, that completely makes sense. And again, thinking about people who I know in sales who have done really well, uh, just like a quick checklist, they fall into those categories. The, because when you look at the other personalities, you look at the type three, for example, which I haven't covered yet, like the OCD personality. Right. They, they, when they try to sell, they will like basically read you the, user man, the user's manual, like super technical, all the yeah. details, and they're just boring as hell, right? So they, they, they are great to explain a product, but not to sell because for sales, what you need is create an emotional yep. response. So that's yeah. what you need, right? So, and you can't do that with technical specs unless you're talking. Unless to someone who's going to get jazzed about, yeah, <laughs> specs of a widget. Yeah, you, you do have some guys, but they're pretty. And the type 2Bs, type 2Bs, which is the other person I haven't covered yet, these are like, the overly emotional, uh, I want to share everything, talk to me about your feelings, mm. but I'm easily offended. I take everything personal. Any kind of failure, I take super mm. hard. These guys can't deal right. with sales because if someone says no to you, it's like the end of yeah. your day. So, so they, they, would be, they are great psychologists. They are great nurses. They are the most empathetic person around, but... They can't deal with projection. Mm. They don't make great salesmen. And the, the one B, the one B, they're just, they're not driven enough. Mm. They are like super skilled. They are great at everything, but they don't have the same, like, if they don't have the adrenaline themselves, they won't be able to communicate. They, they're too chill to be great salesmen. Got it. One and two. So, it. yeah, that makes sense. And now I'm thinking too, like, in the corporate world, right, we've done a lot of these tests. I feel like there's, and this could be my shortcoming, but there's never that next step of like, Hey, we've identified this about you. 
mm-hmm. here's how you can take this information to like make the most of whatever your yeah. endeavor is, right? And yeah. what I think is so interesting about what you're doing with the neurotyping is if I'm understanding it correctly, you actually alter the training based upon the neurotype of the individual. Yes. But, you know, can, can, maybe this is a great place to end today. Can, can you just talk a little mm-hmm. bit about conceptually how you start to alter yeah. the actual programming for your athletes based upon the neurotype that they identify or, or, or oh. have been measured uh, you, need, you need to look at the, the various variables you can we can ah. deal with. We have intensity. Intensity is the amount of weight yeah. you're lifting. Like is it 90%, 85%, 70%? Uh, then you have intensiveness. Intensiveness is how hard you're pushing mm. your sets. So when I program, I, I don't only include how much weight you should be using. I give you an RPE scale. RPE is rate of perceived effort. Like a 10, you go to your absolute limit on a set until the weight, the bar cannot move yeah. anymore. And eight, you get you, you keep like two reps in a tank, for example. So intensiveness would be how high you go on that yeah, scale. Okay. Uh, then you have volume. Mm-hmm. Volume is how much workload you have in, in your session, how much total reps, sets times reps yep. you're doing, and exercise, of course. Then you would have uh, the rest intervals, short rest, long rest, again, that depends on the mm-hmm. person. Then you would have the number of exercises in a session, and what kind of exercise you're using. Mostly big compound movement, more isolation exercise, machines versus free weights. And finally, you have uh, everything that relates to how often do you vary your exercise. Mm. These are all variables that will be influenced by your brain chemistry. For example, if you look at the type 1A, 1A and 1B, they are the people who are the most driven to beat an objective. They need to feel like they are winning the workout to, because every time they lift more weight, they get a pleasure response, dopamine right. response. And they are the one who are the most dominant to dopamine. Wow. So the 1A and 1B, they will be more driven by performance. So we're going to use mostly big basic lifts. Normally, you're going to use lower reps, heavier weights because that's what they want. If I give them sets of 20 reps, they're going to feel fall asleep before the end of the yeah. workout. Uh, if I tell, and, and then you look at intensiveness. Mm. Intensiveness, the 1A is the person who needs the most intensiveness. So uh, 1A, the overachiever, the workaholic, the bigger-than-life personality, they will go to their limit at every set they do. That's how they are mm. built, okay? They want to do everything to win. Uh, the problem is if you go heavy and if you push every set to your limit, there's no way you can tolerate yeah, volume. Do a lot. Yeah. No way you can tolerate volume. So the 1A would be the type that has the lowest amount of volume. For example, I'm training a, a member of the national bobsleigh team, 1A personality. Awesome. He does two to three exercises oh, wow. per session for a total of six to nine work sets for the whole workout. Not per exercise, for the whole wow. workout. All he can do, otherwise he just crashes. Because he the does such heavy weight and such intensiveness. Yeah, exactly. And it's... And if I don't him, if I don't give him the heavy weights or the intensiveness, he loses motivation. Yep. And on top of that, these guys, as soon as they release adrenaline, it stays with them forever. And volume and intensity are two things that increase mm. adrenaline. So I cannot have both high; otherwise, the adrenaline will be through the roof, and they're going to overtrain because of that neurological overtraining. Uh, then we look at if you continue with the one A. Uh, they won't need that much variation. Once again, they, they can't do many exercises in a workout. That would be more of an acetylcholine issue. I mean, to be honest, if I were to look at all the types, it would take about three hours to explain yeah, the reason sure. between the variable. So, but the 1A, they also, they can't do many exercises in a session 
two, three, four at the most. They should stick to mostly big basic lifts and they don't need variation. In fact, if they feel like they can still get stronger on a movement and you take that movement out of their workout, they're going to lose motivation because they want to win the exercise. I a hundred percent. And I'm like, Oh man, this is kind of hitting home a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the only time where you can actually change the exercises is if they've been stuck forever on that movement. Uh, now you can, I, I want to win another yeah. movement. And they also need longer rest intervals. They, they naturally want to train fast because their adrenaline is here. But if you train too fast, you increase adrenaline even more and they can crash because hmm. of that. Uh, so that would be the one A to one B is fairly similar in that they use mostly big compound movement, lower reps, explosive stuff, plyometrics, jump throws, because they're built for speed, but they, they need variation. Hmm. The one B they, they, they have the, because of the isethylcholine and high serotonin, they need variation. They need changes. That's why they, they, they want to try plenty of, of, of new experiences in their life. They, they want to do everything. Yeah. In training, they have the brain capacity to learn new movement because of the acetylcholine. These are the, the, the guys, for example, who make great CrossFit athletes or great uh, decathlon guys. Got it. Because in decathlon CrossFit, you need to be excellent in many, 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 many different complex right. movements. But you, you, for, let's say CrossFit, yeah. for example. You probably need to be good at like 30 different exercises. <laughs> and out of these 30 exercises, at least 10 are amazingly complex. Mm. Like walking on your hands, a full Olympic snatch, a full clean right. and jerk, uh, muscle ups. These things are super hard to master. There's no way someone with bad motor learning can be good at all of that and perform because they would need me personally. I would need to practice all these skills every week. Otherwise I'm going to lose them. Okay. But if you look at the top CrossFit athletes, once they have learned a muscle up, they don't need to practice. It's going to be with them for, they don't, they don't need to practice a snatch. It's going to be with them forever. I've been Olympic weightlifter for eight years. If I stop doing the Olympic lifts for a month, it's like I've never done them before. No kidding. That's so interesting. Yes, I have really, really lost it. I mentioned that you know, I'm starting playing golf right. again and I want to be competitive in golf. I've, I, I played when I was younger. I made the provincial championship, which is the equivalent of the state championship oh, in the US. Cool. I was like playing, I was practicing eight hours a day because I have poor moral learning. When I tried to get play golf again, it's like I've never swung a club mm. before. And just to like improve, I need to practice at least two hours a day. That's why I, I, I held, on, held off on getting back to golf until I could actually spend you knew the, the time. commitment it would, would take to get to where you want to be. Yeah. But less than two hours. I actually don't even improve oh, because I have really bad motor learning. Yeah. So, so the, the one, the one B they need variation and they can actually do the variation because even if they stop squatting for three months, they get back to it. They're still getting hmm. stronger if they train their legs with yeah. other movements. If you look at the 2A, the 2A like me, these are the guys who, who can't follow a program. They will start on the program. After two weeks, they get bored. They want to do something else. The 2A, they, they need to be emotional. They have an emotional attachment to a workout. I'm excited about the workout. Okay, that's the workout by Christian. That's the workout that uh, Klokov did for his Olympic lift. That's a workout that Bo Jackson did right. when he trained. I need an emotional attachment. Yes, See what I, do, I mean? Yeah. But after after two or three weeks, that emotion, that, 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 like, that excitement, it's, it just goes away. Now you're looking for something different or even worse, I'm reading an article. Oh, that looks so cool. I'm going to do that. Then the next time you do, you read an article, 
you're getting excited by the new article. I'm going to switch to that. Got it. Very, very hard. I mean, I, in my, I mean, I've, I'm a coach. I've trained athletes in 28 different sports. I've never been able to follow a program for more than three weeks. <laughs> honest to God. <laughs> and I was a pretty decent like lifter. I mean, I, I made the national champion national championship in Olympic oh, weightlifting. Wow, okay. But I could never stick yeah. to a program. Never. Well, you know, it's funny too. Like, and I, I think about this a lot because um, so many, I mean, I, so we were going to do this thing with my good buddy and I'll wrap this up here in a minute. But, um, you know, he played division one college basketball. He went and played basketball professionally in Europe. Uh, he's now a commentator for ESPN. And we were going to do this thing pre-coronavirus called the Savage 250, right? He's like six, seven. He's just a big guy, but he's been putting on weight. And, you know, what I was telling him, I was like, dude, whatever you do, like I could give you the workout program that I do. Like I'm, I'm happy to share what I'm doing, but like, or is that what's going to interest you? You know? And I was yeah. thinking just in very broad terms of like, look, if someone's passionate about something, they're going to put more effort and energy into it. What's cool 100%. is to see the way that you've broken it down, you know, based on like these neurotype categories and you know, the, there's actually like a structure of some sort that is what I'm hearing that you could adhere to. Yeah. That's going to like kind of better suit neurologically, like what you're going to respond yeah. to. And I just yeah. feel like, yeah. you know, whether it's my mom, whether it's my buddy, who's an ex college basketball yeah. player, whether it's someone who just wants to get leaner, it's like, this might give you direction in terms of like what sort of program you would well, respond to for longer. And you said the most important thing when you mentioned that, if you're excited to do something, you're going to train hard. You're going to, get, to be honest, the only thing that matters that really matters is training mm. hard. That's the only thing that matters, because to be honest, if you, if you take a, like the most basic ordinary training program done hundred yeah. percent and you compare that to like the best program ever at done at 80%, you're going to get better results from the basic yeah. program. So, so if something like excites you, and you're motivated to do it, you're going to get better results. So for example, like to get back to the last two neurotypes, like the type 2Bs, for example, they, they are more insecure. They, they, have, they, they feel more strongly, yeah. right? Uh, they are afraid of failure. So they need feedback within their workout that they're doing right. a good job. If we talk about lifting, what is the feedback that you actually feel inside your body that you're doing a good job with lifting? It's the pump. It's yeah. a mind-muscle yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah. Those muscles burn, right? So, so if you give them a deadlift, it will it won't give them what they want because you don't feel a pump on right. a deadlift. If they're doing cardio, these are the guys that you will see on a treadmill, like they're hanging for their life with a puddle of sweat on the bottom because they need the proof that they're working uh. hard. Uh, it's funny because okay, well, one of my former clients, and it's funny because it was just on a video about him recently, like a, a Joe Buck, the sportscaster. Oh, yeah. When I was training Joe when, when I was in oh, St. Cool. Louis, and he's a typical okay. to be. Typical. It's funny because like, people think of this. Joe is like this alpha personality. Even when he did a, like, um, uh, if you see them, what's it? What's the show with uh, Ann Kazaria about a baseball sportscaster? Uh, have you seen that? Anyway, Joe Buck was uh, had a role in that, and he was like this big alpha male <laughs> asshole. Uh, but uh, Joe is like, like literally like, uh, he's a type two, super emotional. He wants to be loved by everybody, probably daddy issues. Uh, he, 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 I was this, this coach, like this personal trainer and he wanted like to impress me. He wanted me to like him. Yeah. Hey, you do your fucking Joe Buck. Anyway. So the one thing he said is that I like your workouts because I feel like I'm accomplishing mm. something. In reality, I was just like doing some crazy stuff that left him out of breath. 
and pump like crazy because I, I have the immediate feedback. So that does that to yeah. me. Workout, they need to feel good, feel it in their body. It's not like lifting more weight. It's having the internal confirmation that you're doing a good right. job. If you give them an if you give them an exercise and they don't feel it in the right muscle, they will get discouraged. I'm not doing even if you can you know what, dude, you lifted 10 more pounds. Yeah, but I didn't hmm. feel it. They need it. And the type three, the last types, uh, what they need is they don't want variation. They will stick, these are the guys who will stick for the same program for 20 yeah. years. <laughs> Because they need to be comfortable with yeah. what they're doing. They, they can't push hard enough until they feel comfortable right. with their movements. Right. Oh, man. See, I, you know what? What I'm fine with so many of these conversations is, you know, because we could have sat here and been like, oh, like what research papers did you pull this from? Like that. And I, mm. you know, we can certainly uh, down the road, maybe we have that conversation. I doubt it. But like for me, this passes very much like my like gut like test. Yeah. I'm like, yes, I know that person. Or yes, I find myself mm. in that category. And when I think about it, that's exactly what I respond to. And I bet there's a lot of folks listening across the spectrum that are saying like, oh man, like that just has me pegged. And when I think about it, yeah. like that's exactly what I respond to in the gym. Um, so, Dude, I, I have people in seminars cry when I was presenting the type of I finally understand right. why. I, and, and honest to God, the two reasons why I started the system was first because instinctively from my like 20 odd years of mm. coaching, I knew that not all personalities responded to the same training programs, yeah. but I wanted to wait. I've always done it instinctively, but I needed a way to systematize it so I could, I could yeah. teach it. Second is I wanted to know the reason behind all my psychological mm. issues. So it's like self-analysis. Yeah, I, I, I have like zero self-esteem. Uh, I am... Um, I don't have a true personality. It's always, I, I always saw myself as soft because I'm always agreeing with the person I'm talking oh, to. I'm always changing my personality. Uh, of course, like big issues with like uh, the family, my, my own relationship. I don't like physical contact. Mm. And I want to understand all of that because, you know, I, because when you look at my childhood, for example, okay, I, nothing, nothing could explain the lower self-esteem mm. I had. I mean, I had a great childhood. My parents were awesome. I was good at many, many different sports. I had friends, great at school. Uh, like nothing could justify it as, as long as I can remember. I've always been a people pleaser, even when I was yeah. six. So it, it, I, there, there must be like a genetic component to that. So I want to understand the reason behind those personality yeah. traits. Oh, wow. This is so interesting. So, so I know I want to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the neurotyping test for, for people who, uh, let's, let's see two things, right? If they want to look into neurotyping. I would, wait, I would actually wait. I would wait a few okay. weeks because I did a new version of the test, oh, awesome. which is more okay, accurate. Great. So, I yeah, wait and, uh, so, so we'll wait, but in, uh, Thib Army, right? Thibarmy.com. That's where they can take the yeah. neurotyping test. Uh, mm -hmm. for people who want to follow along and just, you know, follow what you, yeah. your team and uh, you were doing, where's the best place to do that? Well, uh, Tib Army is a good place to start. We're going to actually revamp the whole website in the oh, next cool. month. Uh, yeah. And um, then of course, uh, social media, uh, Tib Army on Instagram, yeah. uh, all the crazy methods I use with the athletes yeah, I'm training. I love watching, I love looking uh, at your Instagram. Dude, I have one, one of the bobsleigh guys I'm training, I'm training two guys on a bobsleigh team. He's stuck at home right now, like pretty much everybody, but he bought a, a squat yeah. rack. And we're doing this thing where he's squatting every day and he's squatting 200 kilos, so 440 pounds, cold, so no oh, warm up. 
10 sets throughout the day. So you will do one set a horrible. Well, it's a high frequency of practice Ah. uh, on top of his regular workouts. Just just a crazy experiment. But he he is that personality that that actually loves that. He he needs to be excited about a concept. You know what? For a month, for three weeks, let's let's squat every day. I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love excited. it. Okay, so so Thib Army, so uh, we're going to have people hold off. And this is going to be released a little bit after uh, that you and I spoke. So I, I, as soon as that new test is out, uh, we'll make sure to link mm-hmm. to it. I'm going to do it. I'm really excited. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have my wife do it as well. I think that'll yeah. actually be a fun exercise. You know, one thing I'm playing, an idea I have is like someone should do the test for you like the person who knows you oh, the best yeah. you should you should do your own te- you should do your right. test and then your wife should do the test answering for and you then you compare yeah. both that would be a more accurate It'd be a bit more objective and you're right that self-confirmation yeah. bias ah, yeah, yeah. okay well we'll play around with that well let me know if you need a guinea pig for that we'll sign up uh, but this is awesome. And thank you so much. This is, uh, this is so, right. so enlightening. And uh, I think so interesting, right? Cause like, it's so easy to get caught up and like, Hey, like, you know, what's the best workout for this goal? And like, what does that mean in terms of reps and sets? And I think this is a really interesting and important perspective because it's coming from the other angle. It's like, well, what gets you fired up and what are you going to respond mm-hmm. to? And like, what's going to keep you motivated to your point to actually put yeah. in the work necessary to adapt same thing with diet. Yeah. I mean, even if, okay, if I tell you, even if keto, for example, was the best diet known to men, which yeah. it isn't, but if you feel like crap on it or you don't like it, you, you will be stick with it for like three weeks. You won't get the results you want. So maybe going like a, mo- uh, like a more moderate diet that gets you excited, even though, even if it was not as good on paper, mm. it would still give you better results down the line. To it. But it's not, yeah, it's not about optimal. It's about like like maximum effort over the longest period of time. That's what gives yeah, you results. It's so funny you say that because that is, I mean, I, what I've been saying, and I, I've talked to people in a broad spectrum so far in this, and this is like the 14th or 15th episode. Um, I mean, like people who work with, you know, athletes operating kind of like the fringes of human performance, it, 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 there's mm-hmm. no secret. It all keeps coming back to like consistency over time, right? Like you said, maximum effort consistently over time it's like so i think that's a really important lesson for people um so christian man thank you so much it's been an awesome conversation and uh appreciate you being gracious with your time it was awesome man you better go ask mommy daddy (laughs) all right and welcome to another edition of run it by my wife hello hello uh, so we were just catching up and this is our second take, but I guess the people didn't need to know that. But, uh, your first reaction to this episode, what were your thoughts? It's my favorite one so far. I know. I was shocked by that. <laughs> Why? I loved it. I personally thought it was awesome, but I just, uh, that's, that's high praise. Cause we've had some really good ones. Yeah. 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 I feel like I need to go listen to it again. Cause it's just, there's so much information. I know. And it's a lot of stuff that it's like we don't talk about neurotransmitters very often in our day to day. No. So to say it's uncharted territory for us, I think is pretty safe. Yeah. But it was cool. And really cool. Yeah. And I, I thought he, you know, as best as he could, he made it uh, relatively easy approachable. Like, cause we're all familiar with things like adrenaline, 
a lot of us have heard about dopamine, serotonin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might not be able to tell you exactly how it works or why it works, but I'm at least like familiar with it. And so mm-hmm. to hear his kind of like rationale. Heard a lot of people talk about dopamine, serotonin. Yeah. Tonin. <laughs> no, you're right. Like there. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think a lot of it now stems from people talking about it around the use of phones. Mm-hmm. Like dopamine addiction, like the pleasure yeah. center, like looking for that dopamine hit. Yeah. Which is certainly true. I mean, I see it in myself. Pleasure center means different things these days. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. Sufficiently. Now you're creeping everyone out. I like it. Uh, no, you're right. But uh, so that, that was the one thing that my first takeaway. Let's jump right into it because uh, we need to, we need to keep these things a little bit tighter than we yeah. have been. We've been getting loose. Fast and loose. And wild. The first thing was, you know, I don't think I necessarily thought about the fact that like everyone uh, has like a different sensitivity to maybe some of these neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, hey, dopamine is what causes like this effect in the human brain. I didn't realize for some people they could have such a stronger reaction, others less so. Yeah. Uh, what I also thought was interesting was his point that it's like with regards to adrenaline specifically, right? Like there's some people who they get adrenaline, they get a huge response, um, but then they're not able to clear it out. Yeah. I mean, that was crazy to hear, but then I also thought, like it's a lot like metabolism. Like everyone has mm-hmm. different, like some people metabolize food so much quicker than others. So it would make sense that people would process all those different things differently. Yeah. And you're right. It does make sense. But, you know, I guess I just never took the time to think about it. No, neither did I. You know, yeah. or maybe I didn't like put such like framework around it. Yeah. So maybe I don't dopamine or the what I get from the blue light at night at the phone doesn't affect me the way oh, it affects God. you. I, that is the, the last thing. I think that's what this podcast was about. We're supposed to take from this. Uh, uh, I don't think that's what he said. <laughs> I think I think he. That's no. a direct quote. Get your phone out of the bedroom. We've had how many sleep specialists have we now had on the podcast, and we're still we're still fighting this battle. It's unbelievable. What what else do I have to do short of start a podcast to get you to put your that's phone down? The real reason bed? behind the professional yeah, athlete. Yeah, it's not for you, <laughs> listeners. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting, but what I think like the takeaway there is, you know, by listening to the show, are you going to know like the, the next steps? No, because it was like, I would say it's an introduction, but hopefully, you know, the takeaway would be like, Hey, start to have more awareness as to like how you respond to things Mm -hmm. and recognize that, um, it's not necessarily that you respond like better or worse. But it's just like starting to have some understanding as to like the way in which you are responding to certain things. Yeah. Everything from blue light to stress to adrenaline. Um, My mom's calling. Should I answer or no? No. Are you being serious? I was about to throw your phone out the window. Not because of you, Orla. That's not your fault. You didn't know we were recording right now. Uh, But, you know, so what we want to do is we I do want to take this test. I really want to take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I want to do what he said and take it for each other as well. Yeah. Because that would be really interesting. Because I feel like mm-hmm. this is a dumb example, but like when I... Nope, please. I, nope, I'm hooked. Go. When I took the sorting hat test for Harry <laughs> Potter to see which house I'd be in, like I knew what answers I needed to answer to uh. be in, uh, in Gryffindor. And I mean, I feel like they were actually honest because I'm definitely. <laughs> yeah, you well, clearly. <laughs> but like, it's 
like you kind of like answer because you you have an idea of yourself in your head and you want to yeah. answer because you want to fulfill that. Yeah, and he said that that very much is a problem, the confirmation yeah. bias. So that's true. Yeah, and he recommended that, right? He was like, maybe in the future you take it and then you have your spouse take it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if a Gryffindor would knowingly cheat on a test. So <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit Slytherin. Yeah, a little. A little, a lot of it. Uh, no, you're more Gryffindor. But at least I'm not Hufflepuff. Well, come on now. Let's, yeah, we can all be thankful there. So let's you're do a little bit Let's do that. All right, take it easy. Shots fired. So I want to take the personality test, and I think that was the big takeaway, right? It's like, he, even if you said, like, you're this, you know, not right or wrong, this Trump esque personality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not necessarily bad. It's about understanding like why you might do the things you do or why you might t- respond in the, in the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it's just like all things, you know, not to uh, bring like tech tech talk into it, but like it's a data point to work with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it gives you more context around why you're acting the way you are. Yeah. And hopefully if you want to make a change, you can at least start to understand why the behaviors uh, or where those behaviors are coming from, which I think is important. Yeah, for sure. You had a takeaway. I did. Would you like to share it? Sure. Please. Um, unstructured play. Yes. Creates more professional athletes or elite athletes. Yeah. Than a more rigid training program. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and that's something really that like cool. I've been hearing more and more. Yeah. Um, it makes sense though, because you know, there's definitely a fine line between honing your skills to the point where you just become robotic. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, to his point, it's like what separated athletically the elite from like division two, division three players was not like athletic ability per se in terms of like, in terms of like, yeah, it was a creative creativity piece. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Well, and so that, that, you know, we have young kids and a lot of people listening have young kids or going to have kids or maybe children themselves. <laughs> What's up, kids? Thanks for tuning in. So it really it made me think like, you know, like, hey, rather than going out and just drilling my kids for hours on end, like keep it fun, find new ways, like yeah. make them think, change the height of the hoop, use a different ball, you know, yeah. play three on three, two on two, four, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Just constantly uh, switching it up on them is going to force them to be more creative. Yeah. And, you I know, like I, that. I remember, well, actually, like, I don't know. You're a pretty good tennis player. <laughs> Thanks. S- so I hear <laughs> from uh, Mama and Basie. What? Uh, she have you think I'm the best. <laughs> yes. What, you know, like, to what extent, like, do, looking back on your own career, like, do you feel like it was always very structured or do you feel like there was that kind of, like, unstructured element that maybe, like, helped you develop into a better tennis player? Um, well, we've been taking tennis lessons since we were like seven or eight, I think. Mm. But my favorite way to play is when we would do round robins with a bunch of kids and it was oh. more like we were playing. Yeah. Rather than just like hitting balls off a ball machine. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. And that's important too. Like you have to remember with kids, you know, like they can burn out so easy if you take the joy out of it. Yeah the best thing that you can do is keep it fun. Yeah. I mean, we'll make it as fun as possible and they'll still burn out. So you, you got to keep them yeah. interested. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Last takeaway. And now I'm spacing. <clears throat> oh, damn it. I had it written down. I don't know my phone. 
That's okay. Um, oh, stress. Mm-hmm. Another big one. Yeah. That's a big reason that I started this podcast also. Yeah. Like, I know it's a huge issue. It's a big issue for me. I certainly struggle with it. Um, but, you know, again, just this idea of understanding that it's a physiological response and it's an evolutionary response, mm-hmm. right? Its initial use was like, hey, <laughs> there is an immediate threat in the form of a tiger, right? Like we need to amp your body up so that you're more alert, can react quicker and, and hopefully like, you know, preserve yourself. Yeah. The problem is, is that we still find ways of constantly kicking ourselves into that state and then we're not getting out of it. And mm-hmm. so it's like, there's all these negative effects from like not getting yourself out of this like heightened state, Yeah. which I feel like, uh, you know, I, I know there's a ton of studies that probably validate this, but like there's a large percentage of the population who is like living in that state. Mm-hmm. And it's hard not to, because like, we're always on Yeah. work is, you know, even though like technological advancement is the best it's ever been, we're like constantly on call. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So try to be more conscious of that. I think was a takeaway for me and just recognizing the need to like unwind, find ways to de-stress, decompress because it's unhealthy. Yeah, no. And I think you knew that before, but yeah, it's just a good reminder to constantly make yourself. I think you should start your meditation back up. Yeah, I need to do that. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. It's very hard to find the time. Mm-hmm. because we got into a good routine with two kids mm-hmm. and then throwing the third kid in, it just like, it just upended our routine. Yeah. We're about to get back into a groove though. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. Our third is sleep train now. So yes, we're pretty excited. It's a big win. It's a big win. Uh, okay. Well, I think we can wrap this one up. That All was right. a great one. We got to take the test and we will report back to people when we do. Yes. Yeah. Any other parting thoughts or do you feel like we're good to uh, send people on their merry way? Do you want to tell people what you think you are, which category you fall into? Yeah, I don't know exactly. And I want to take this new test. Like, and I kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, In the beginning? Yeah. Uh, Well, a little bit like throughout the show, I was trying to, you know, I was being pretty vocal with like where I thought I was leaning. mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, I'm going to take the test and I will let people know. Do you have an idea of where you fall? Yes. Ooh, what do you think? I think that I'm, but I feel like I'm a mix. Like I see myself in a lot of them. Yeah. I thought that way too. I think you are one B and two A. Okay. More one B. Okay. With a tiny bit of one A. And I think I'm one B, two A, and a little bit of two B. Because to be is like the super emotional and he's but like easily offended. Got it. Which I think I'm a lot of actually. (laughs) (laughs) I would say yes, that definitely describes part of you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I felt too. Like he would, he would start describing one and I'd be like, oh man, that's me all day. And then he would start describing the other and I'd be like, "Ah, I feel like I'm a little bit of that as well. Yeah. So we're excited to do the test. Yes. We we will let people know. Right. Uh, I'm going to impress you right now. <laughs> oh, next wait. week's guest <laughs> is an awesome one. We've talked about him a couple times actually throughout the show. His name is Cal Dietz. He is the uh, 
coach for USA Hockey. He works with the women's team at the national and then uh, hopefully Olympic level. Um, he's also the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Minnesota for a n- number of sports. Um, and he is just uh, incredible, incredible thought leader in the space. I, the conversation that we had was fascinating, quite frankly. I think no matter you know what your athletic goals are, people are going to love that one. So tune in next week. But until then, have Stay a good safe. week, everyone. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Bye.